2: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may
0: lose value. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick, and it's Cat O'Clock here on Stuff to Blow Your Mind. We're going to be doing cats today. That's right, uh,
1: particularly we're gonna be talking about cats sitting in boxes, being interested in boxes, and we'll get a little bit into into humans sitting and sleeping in boxes as well. So let's start by pointing out the obvious here, and that is that cats love a good box. We don't have to tell you this, cat owners or just internet users out there are probably familiar with this uh, scenario, often summed up with the, uh, the meme headline or caption, if I fits, I sits. Mm-hmm. If the
0: cat at all fits in the box, then it will sit in the box, even if the cat doesn't quite fit in the box, you know the mm-hmm. cat will a cat will often uh, take the occasion to create a sort of muffin top of its entire body around the lip of a somewhat too small box for it yeah there's some hilarious pictures of this
1: online um, now, for my own part, I can mainly speak to my cat. Uh, or well, the cat that lives in my house, uh, Mochi. She, I don't know if she's <laughs> my cat. She's kind of her own self's cat. Mm-hmm. And um, you're her feeder. I feed her and I clean up her poop desert. And as a thank you, she attacks my feet regularly and wakes me up uh, between the hours of 420 a.m. and 6 a.m. Uh, demanding to be fit. Uh, but and she likes my wife a lot more than me. But but anyway, still, Mochi's good. I love her. Mochi's <laughs> a good cat. She's amusing. She's cute. And whenever we get a package in, we'll give her the chance to check out that box. Uh, so we'll, we'll put it there on the floor for her. She doesn't always sit inside it. Sometimes she'll just come out and check it out. If we mm-hmm. put it on its side, she may walk inside it. Maybe she'll sit down. Maybe she won't. Maybe she'll hang out. It's totally up to her.
0: I've often thought about the conflict that must go on within the mind of a cat when it is confronted with its carrier crate, you know, the the box that people use. When I was a kid, we would take our cat to the vet, uh, not Mm -hmm. in a, not in like one of those nice crates that has like the cage door and all that, but it was a cardboard box that had like fold up uh, handles and and breathing holes and stuff.
1: Like it was made for a cat to go in it? Yes.
0: It was like a, a cardboard box specifically manufactured for cat delivery. Hmm.
1: Okay. Yeah, we never never had one of those. Uh, We have just a a plastic and metal cat Mm -hmm. carrier. But yeah, that's a totally different enclosure for 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 a cat. That is often associated with the stress of going other
0: places. Right. I mean, that's what I was thinking about. Though is that like there, there there are two different things pulling in the mind at the same time. On the one hand, you've got the learned associations, like uh oh, that thing means the vet. That's bad. But still, it's still a box. I don't know. It looks pretty good in there. (laughs) I don't know. Mochi does not go for the uh, for the cat
1: carrier. She she has negative uh, associations there. But but, you know, she'll she'll definitely go and at least check out uh, a shipping container that has come in. Um, And also, we have shelves in our home that are roughly cube-shaped, have cube-shaped spaces in them. Mm -hmm. And some of these are filled up with books or or have like a drawer put in them. But we also have some at ground, at a floor level in the house that have other things in them, like one has shoes uh, and is used as a shoe hutch. Another has a a trio of decorative statues in them. And Mochi loves darting into these spaces, um, you know, sort of plotting from within them. And of course, she'll move the statues around whenever she's in there. So we frequently have to put the
0: statues back where they go. Oh, yeah. I can imagine being jealous of the inanimate objects that get their own little cubby holes. Yeah. Or, I mean, I think a huge part of this. So well, there are two
1: things, right? First of all, a cat, uh, a domestic cat, is essentially both predator and prey. So they have this relationship with the world where they are, they, you know, they need to find hiding places so as to stalk their prey and to engage in these sort of behaviors that they've evolved to um, uh, to, to do. Or uh, the other side is they need to be uh, able to hide themselves. They need to be wary of things that might be after them. And then on top of all of that, if you have an indoor cat, like Mochi is an indoor cat, They live in a confined environment that they and they they ultimately belong in a wider world. They shouldn't go out there. She should not go out there. She's not ready for it. There's too much. uh, There's too much out there to freak her out. And also she's going to eat birds. She's an invasive species, all of that. So she is where she is. But. It kind of makes them a little stir crazy, I think, you know, so they have to make the most out of the space they have. And so if there is a space in a shelf or a new box, they're going to go check it out just like you would check it out if you had not left the house in, you know, five years.
0: Except maybe to a facility where I get punctured with needles.
1: Yes. Yeah. it's a, you know, it, it, it create, that's your universe, you know, and, and, and so you can maybe understand some of these behaviors. But then there there are other aspects of of cat fascination with with new items that that i've i've found intriguing so uh, this cat of ours mochi also loves and i mean loves uh, a new set of lego or ikea instructions oh yeah if, if these rectangular papers are introduced into the house and for any amount of time and she sees them, she will set on them. She will go up and she will she will have a seat on them. She may sleep on them. Likewise, if they are printouts from the computer, if the boy leaves his homework out, then the cat will inevitably sleep on that the, on that paperwork. We've had some very important paperwork in the house that has been left out and the cat will then decide to sleep on it.
0: I feel like this is not confined just to cats. It may be more prevalent in cats, but I've noticed in my dog, he loves to. Oh, yeah? If we put out a set of instructions on the floor or any kind of roughly rectangular shaped flat thing on the floor, there's a real good chance he will move on top of it.
1: Which is weird with with animals, right? Be, uh, our pet animals, because for the most part, I mean, they're not supposed. They, they're technically not supposed to be able to go everywhere. Generally, there are places mm-hmm. I don't want my cat to lay and walk, but. If people are out of the house, you know, she can kind of go wherever she wants. And yet it's going to be the IKEA instruction manual. It's going to be the mm-hmm. Lego manual or
0: some paperwork. Well, this was actually taken to another level of absurdity uh, by uh, something that connects to uh, some of the articles we're going to talk about today, which was a 2017 viral hashtag on Twitter called hashtag cat squares. Did you read about this at the time? Um, I don't think I saw it at the time, but I've, yeah. I've been catching up on it. Yeah, I, I don't remember being aware of this either, but essentially what it was, was people were posting on Twitter photos where they would get some tape, just like, you know, some painter's tape or something, and lay it down on the floor to make a square, and then their cat would come over and sit inside the square.
1: Hmm.
0: Why? <laughs> strange. I mean, there's something clearly interesting going on with this behavior. Uh, And it seems, I mean, with with stuff like this, that's just anecdotal observations, you always wonder if there's some amount of just coincidence. Yeah, the cat's just sitting somewhere, or maybe it's just sitting where you happen to be looking, you know, it's taking cues from you. Uh, But it at least seemed consistent enough that people were saying like, yeah, cats sit down on pieces of paper or instructions or squares of other kinds. And even if you just make a square outline out of tape, they'll come get in that. It seemed consistent enough that this is maybe a scientific phenomenon worth investigating. And so this is going to connect to at least one piece of research that we'll talk about in today's episode. A hat tip that I first got the idea to do this episode today when I came across a Piece by Jennifer Willette in Ars Technica that was covering this recent study that uh, used crowdsourced participation to test visual perception and sitting behavior in cats. We'll come back to that specific study uh, in a bit. But first, I wanted to move backward a bit and look at the thing that we started talking about, uh, which was the idea of cats being obsessed with getting inside boxes, not squares on the floor, but three dimensional boxes. As to the question of why they love boxes so much, there are a lot of answers you can find out there. And uh, I think this is something I encounter a lot when I look into a question of like, why is my dog doing X? Or why does a cat do X? Basically anything within the realm of explaining the behavior of common domestic animals. You can usually find a lot of Veterinary science and animal behavior experts of of varying levels of uh, legitimacy in their credentials offering their opinion, but often nothing quite like a solid scientific consensus answer that's provable by experiment. But you can find some some good evidence that helps back up a few uh, competing explanations that might be complementary of one another or might feed uh, different aspects of box occupation behaviors. Now, one very commonly cited answer is simply that cats like boxes because cats are cryptic animals. They like to hide. And this has to do with a couple of things, both with perceptions of safety and with predatory advantage. Yeah, like I said, they are both predator
1: and prey, and therefore it behooves them to be good at hiding, to have hiding places scouted out and to uh, hang out in them from time to time.
0: Right. And so, one example of a a cat behavior uh, expert talking about this that I came across was there's a guy named Steven Zawistowski of the ASPCA who did an explainer video about this for Business Insider in 2013. Uh, And I've seen that one quoted a bunch of times in other outlets. Uh, And his claims are basically that cats like to hide, and a box gives them a sense of safety and security because once they get into the box, they limit the number of angles that they can be approached from you know you're basically like limiting the amount of space you need to be constantly aware of that you need to be monitoring and this seems like a very reasonable guess to me uh, at least for part of the explanation I, I would actually guess a similar psychological drive probably underlies a lot of human behaviors uh, for example the desire to sit with your back to a wall as opposed to sitting in the middle of the room what's the table mm-hmm. everybody wants at a restaurant you you know almost everybody prefers the booth in the back corner of the room as opposed to the table that's right in the middle of the room where you know there's stuff going on behind your back yeah. It feels safer and feels like you're you're just less likely to be surprised. Even if you're not really worried about physical danger, there's something kind of happening at an instinctual level. Part of it might even not be concerns about physical danger, but concerns about social surprise and social threats, you know, things that you would need to be aware of if they were happening, even if they're not physically threatening.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you might want to know know who else is coming into the restaurant or, you know, you want to
0: be able to see when your server is approaching, that sort of thing. You just want a general awareness of your surroundings. And if you've got your back to a wall, you're sort of wedged into a corner and all snug and cozy, you can basically see anybody who's going to approach you. Right. But Zawistowski also says that boxes provide a vantage point from which cats can dash out and attack. And this connects to the other prong of what you were saying about them being both predator and prey. You know, it it is good if you are a predator to have a sort of information advantage on your prey. You want to be hidden from them. You want to be able to see them, but them not be able to see you. And a hiding place like a box is perfect for that. Now, I will say this seems potentially True as an explanation of some boxes, but not all, because I noticed that a lot of times cats seem to really enjoy squeezing into small boxes that are, for example, only open on the top. So they can't really see anything around them. They couldn't possibly be watching something that they would, you know, lunge out at because they can only see the ceiling or something like that. Am I wrong about this? No, you you
1: know, you definitely see this as well. Uh, Our cat likes to venture into the laundry hamper pretty regularly. And, uh, and, uh, and, oh, I guess I should also point out that, that uh, our cat, like a lot of cats uses um, a litter box that you enter from the top. So Mm -hmm. it's essentially like a hamper uh, for, uh, for, for the litter. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, I, I guess in thinking about this, because certainly if the cat is at the bottom of the laundry hamper, she's not really able to see anything anymore. But I guess one thing we always have to keep in mind with cats is that they, they do have extremely acute hearing. So that's true. Um, you know, their their dependence on the visual um, world is not uh, the same as human dependence on the
0: visual world. That's a good point. Have, have you ever seen uh, Mochi spring out of the top of a box, even at something that that she couldn't immediately see?
1: Mm, not, not really. But okay. she does. You know, she will spring out of the box. I guess that's another thing to keep in mind is that cats are you know are generally quite agile as well so mm-hmm. uh, leaving the bottom of the the hamper is not the same as us uh, emerging from the bottom of a well you know like we mm-hmm. would have to painstakingly claw our way back up the cat can just launch itself out like a rocket and it's good to go
0: Yes. Yeah, so while I would not consider this explanation, I don't know, proven, I guess it, it seems like this is a very reasonable guess, understanding the cat's role in its native environment and, uh, and the normal kinds of environmental pressures that would be on it and how it would respond to them. The cats like hiding places because, as you say, they're both predator and prey. They need a place that uh, you know limits the angles they can be approached from and, uh, to, to provide a, a sense of security and safety for them and provides them a vantage point that they could potentially use to launch a predatory attack from. So this all seems like a, a reasonable guess, barring other evidence. But I did find some more evidence for the enclosure security hypothesis that was documented in another article that I was reading. Uh, so, there was an article by Brian Gardner in Wired in 2015 called Why Do Cats Love Boxes So Much? And this pulled together some other studies. Uh, so, the author here, for one thing, spoke to a, a researcher named Claudia Vinke of Utrecht University in the Netherlands, who has published scientific research on the effects of access to a box on the stress levels of cats in animal shelters. Uh, This research was done in conjunction. So, uh, Vinky was the lead author, but it was also done with uh, L.M. Godin and uh, W.J.R. Vanderlei in Applied Animal Behavior Science in 2014. And this study points out that stress in shelter animals, including cats, is important for a number of reasons. Of course, it's just important on its own for the psychological welfare of the cat, but stress is also an important factor contributing to the physical health of animals like cats because higher levels of stress in animals could contribute to higher rates of infectious disease due to immunodeficiency from the cortisol response. Yeah, and I think anybody who's owned
1: cats for uh, any amount of time, you, you, you grow to realize that, oh yeah, if they get stressed out, they can, they can definitely get, get ill. Um, yeah. Particularly with ours, like she has bladder issues mm-hmm. uh, and easily um, uh, compounded by her not drinking enough water or being just a little bit too stressed. <laughs> and then if, and if that happens, then, then everybody in the house is stressed. Oh yeah.
0: I, I I can imagine. I, I feel for everybody in that scenario. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so the authors here write The aim of the present study was to determine the effect of a hiding box on stress levels of newly arrived cats in a Dutch animal shelter. Therefore, 19 newly arrived shelter cats were randomly divided into two groups. So the test group had 10 cats and they had access to a box, and then there was a control group uh, of nine without a hiding box. And to determine the stress levels, they would do these observational or behavioral observations. Uh, over a 14-day period, that were done according to something called the Kessler and Turner Cat Stress Score. Now, the authors point out that there are some limitations here because it you the the cat st- uh, stress score thing they're doing here is just based on having to observe the cat and sort of count numbers of behaviors that would indicate uh, or believed to indicate certain levels of relaxation or, or stress response uh, that you could probably get more accurate information about stress responses by physiological measurements, like me- you know maybe measuring levels of cortisol in the body or something like that. Though the problem there is that in order to do that, you would have to handle already stressed cats, which would itself uh, sort of probably increase the amount of, Stress that the cats are experiencing. So this is kind of a difficult thing to measure accurately. But they did their best with this observational uh, behavioral scoring system. And this was taking place during the cage quarantine period for incoming cats. So they have to go through a quarantine period, you know, as they're taken into the shelter. And the major findings of this research were that cats in the test group, so those were the cats with access to a hiding box, uh, showed less stress pretty quickly within the first couple days, with significant differences in the amount of stress between the test group and the control group on days three and four. But eventually, over time, the stress levels of the cats in the control group came down it just took a lot longer so by day 14 the cats in both groups were roughly the same in terms of stress so it looks like what happened is access to a hiding box helped lower the stress of cats faster in a frightening novel situation but after a couple of weeks it was no longer making a difference on average But this would kind of make sense if you imagine that the cats, you know, when you first get to a new shelter, that's probably the highest stress as they're like becoming accustomed to this novel situation. Uh, So they're going to have the most stress then and the most need for coping behaviors, for example, hiding in a box. And the authors pointed out that even when the cats didn't have access to a box, say the cats in the control group would sometimes try to do hiding behaviors without a box. For example, they would try to hide behind their litter box.
1: Mm, yeah, I, I think anybody who has, if you've ever gotten a new cat uh, or or brought a cat into a new environment, this is frequently what happens. Like the the cat may spend the first few days or or even longer just hanging out in like one particular hiding spot, say in a uh, you know in a closet or something like that.
0: And the authors also uh, they cite a study by Cry and Casey in the Journal Animal Welfare from 2007 that found basically the same thing. It found that access to a hiding box decreased the amount of apparent stress behaviors in cats uh, at a at an adoption center and did not make adoption any less likely I think one thing they were wondering about is okay does if you give a cat a hiding space will that make the cat less social and thus make it less likely to get adopted and they found no um, cats that were that had access to a hiding space were no less likely to get adopted and they seemed to be less stressed so, Hiding spaces for cats are, are good, it seems, all around. But in that Wired article by Gardner, uh, he, he cites a, an email exchange that he had with Claudia Vinki the author of that, that first Dutch study. Uh, and she says that, quote, hiding is a behavioral strategy of the species to cope with environmental changes and stressors. So new stuff's going on. You don't know how to deal with it. it it's freaking you out. How do you react? You go and hide. And if you have a box, that's going to really help chill you out. And with eBay guaranteed fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible, it's in the name. Now, there is an interesting other uh, observation that Gardner dug up in this article, another line of reasoning that seems a little bit related but actually different. Uh, So he cites the Cambridge University Press Guide to the Domestic Cat, the Biology of its Behavior, that's the title, Uh, and this book observes that, quote, cats do not appear to develop conflict resolution strategies to the extent that more gregarious species do. So they may attempt to circumvent agonistic encounters by avoiding others or decreasing their activity. So that, that's an interesting sort of twist on this, right? That the, the retreat to a box for a cat May be not only a safety mechanism like fearing physical danger, but also a social behavior, a way of managing social relationships by avoiding potential conflict with other members of the household or social group. Uh, so, you know, a dog might have certain conflict resolution behaviors. You know, it, it gets in, into a conflict or has unresolved kind of social tension with another dog or another human in the house. And, and it has its own set of behaviors. Who knows what, you know, those might be, uh, you know, licking or whatever, or, or a certain kind of like display of, uh, like like a kind of submissive display or something like that. Cats, meanwhile, are more likely to Uh, If they're looking for a way to deal with unresolved social tension or something within the group, they might just retreat. They go and hide and, and just practice avoidance behaviors. And that's interesting because I think sometimes these concerns, the the concerns for for safety versus the concern for avoiding social conflict, those can get kind of conflated even when humans think about their own behavior. But they're actually distinct phenomena. Like when we were talking about why do you want to sit at the back of the restaurant, you can easily start thinking about that in terms of safety, which might be an element there. But there could also just be like a social reasoning to it.
1: Yeah, like to to apply this as we've applied similar discussions in the past to the open office working environment. Like, I think that's one of the huge flaws of that is that, uh, you know, you, you can say, well, it's about it's about coworkers being able to approach each other and and share ideas and all and all so forth. But it also means uh, if someone walks into the office like, they can see you and you have to see them. Like, there's no, like, cats would hate that. Cats would be totally anti-office. Of course they would want a cubicle. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. I You know, I guess a lot of it comes down to different work styles, different personality styles. But I, I'm with mm-hmm. the cats on this.
0: Let us have our boxes. Oh, me too. I mean not to be antisocial, you know, I like being able to work with my coworkers when it's useful to work together. But like, you know, when, when I don't want to be doing that, I don't want that as just a a constant sort of like interaction threat presenting at a low level all day long.
1: Yeah. I I don't want my workspace to be like, you know, the, the doggy daycare center where it's just dogs running around in circles the whole time. You know, I, I like the idea of it being cats, uh, you know, engaging with each other uh, when they want to, setting in laps or, you know, laying in the sun when they want to, but also retreating to boxes when that is their preference.
0: I, here's the way I think of it. Uh, I'm not against interacting with other other people. I don't think I'm antisocial, but i like to be able to flip a switch. I'd like to be able to flip the interaction switch on and flip it off as opposed to having it in some ambiguous middle space. Right. But so uh, while all of this stuff that we're talking about makes sense, the idea of, uh, of cats having lower stress when they have a space they can hide in for obvious safety reasons, but then also for maybe these, uh, these social interaction mediation reasons, um, th- this brings me back to a question I think I sort of raised earlier. I, I guess this is a slightly different version of it. I can easily think of examples of cats getting into boxes that don't really fit the hiding, safety, or avoidance hypotheses. Sometimes the cat is clearly not hiding at all. For example, when cats cram into boxes with low walls that function more as a kind of tray for the cat's body than walls that would offer any form of concealment. And these are some of the funniest examples of cats getting into boxes. But clearly lots of cats love to do this. Yeah, there's a there's a fun board
1: game called Isle of Cats, uh, that's all about cats and like doing some sort of like Tetrisy things with cats. It's a beautifully designed game, mm-hmm. and when you open the box, the interior of the top lid uh, informs you that this is where your cat can sit while you play the game. And they encourage you, like, you know, to take photos of it and share it, uh, which is uh, which is a really fun idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also yeah, it's not it's not deep enough for a cat to actually gain any kind of perceivable, at least a human shelter or, you know, or, you know, a space from which to uh, to hunt their their human's feet or, you know, so forth. It's it's just too shallow. It seems like it would not
0: provide the sort of cover that they would be craving. Exactly. So, I think this is where it comes in that there are probably different pressures that are that are complementary of one another in driving cat box occupation behaviors. Uh, cat's probably occupy different boxes for different reasons. And when a cat occupies this tray kind of box, you know, the kind of tight squeeze box, I suspect and this is something that's offered up in Gardner's uh, article as well that a lot of this probably has to do with temperature. Uh, so I noticed a, a, a claim that was cited in that uh, Vinky study, the Dutch cat shelter study, and it was that the authors cited previous research by Roy in 1992 that was again cited in Rochlitz in 99 that showed that. Cats prefer material that maintains the same temperature with the quintessential example here being a towel. You put a towel on the floor, cat will probably prefer to get on the towel as opposed to the floor itself or other materials that are less stable in terms of temperature. And uh, and so I, I think cats, and I would guess dogs too, find less temperature variability in insulated materials like a towel or like the corrugated cardboard that makes up many boxes. And this is building on, of course, the fact that animals have a a natural biological environmental constraint known as their thermoneutral zone. Easy way to think about this, it's basically the range of temperatures in which you are comfortable due to your biology. Uh, And and the reason you're comfortable within a certain range of temperatures is that your body is having to do less work to adapt you to that, uh, you know, because you, you need to maintain a relatively constant internal body temperature. And if you and if the range of external temperatures is outside of the thermoneutral zone, then your body's going to need to be spending extra energy either heating or cooling itself in order to keep your internal temperature uh, in the steady zone that it needs to be. According to Gardner, and this was news to me, the thermoneutral zone for a domestic cat is roughly 86 to 97 degrees Fahrenheit. And as the source there, he cites a t- 2006 study by the National Research Council. And so if you think about that, that's roughly like 20 degrees higher than the normal thermoneutral zone for human beings, which is you know going to be somewhere in like the low 70s or something. Especially the, the, the temperature that most people most often feel very comfortable in.
1: Yeah. I mean, this this is a, a huge reason why cats frequently want to sit in your lap, you know, because your lap is is warm. It's, it's kind of the perfect combination of the two because you have the underlying body heat. But then on top of that, uh, you know, you generally have you know, some sort of slacks or jeans or some sort of garment going on. And, yeah. and that is where they want to be, especially when uh, you know the, the ambient temperature is, uh, is is far less than that uh, that desired zone.
0: Yeah. So I I think about how uh, how much, you know, cats I've had in my life used to love to sit on top of a computer. (laughs) Those things get hot, but, you know, they they like it or or lay in the sun. You know, the sun's pouring in through the window and it's Mm -hmm. making this little hot spot on the floor and the cat loves to lay there. Um, I mean, it's just down to the fact that, again, I, I never really realized this before, but that in houses that are comfortable for humans, it seems like usually cats are going to be pretty cold yeah.
1: Yeah. And and you you may find them also gravitating towards rooms that are, are even just marginally hotter than the rest of the house. Uh, so, like, we have a, a middle room that has uh, that has only has one window. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's not losing much, uh, much heat through there. Uh, and it tends to be a little warmer. And that's where the cat will be. Uh, that's where she's going to hang out.
0: Gardner cites that 2006 study by the NRC, which found, quote, Most cats' housing areas are around 72 degrees Fahrenheit, a good 14 degrees colder than a domestic cat's minimum thermoneutral temperature. So imagine if you were always living in a house that was 14 degrees Fahrenheit colder than the temperature that you would like it to be. Yeah. Doesn't sound great. No, no. But – Here we go. Boxes to the rescue, because, again, uh, corrugated cardboard is a great insulator and also think about confined spaces, the insulated material and the tight space offered by especially a sort of body fitting box that sort of, you know, muffin top cat tray that can help trap body heat, pushing a cat closer to its comfortable temperature range. And this actually seems like a very good explanation to me to to help cover the cases where cats are seeking out boxes that are clearly not serving any kind of hiding purpose. Mm. I suspect there's a lot to this one. Uh, but I wanted to mention one more possible hypothesis uh, for for cat box preferences that I came across. This one was cited in an article originally published on The Conversation, republished in a number of other places, uh, by Nicholas H. Dodman, who is an American professor emeritus of veterinary medicine at Tufts University. I was looking around. It looks like he does a lot of uh TV appearances as an animal behavior expert, and it also looks like he has some products he sells, some pet-type stuff. So, caveat on those things. But he does point to a a piece of published research that would at least tell us a little bit about the possible animal neuroendocrinology of box preferences. And the idea is this. It's comfort via flank pressure on the body. Uh, Dodman writes, quote, Think of it as a kind of swaddling behavior. The close contact with the box's interior, we believe, releases endorphins, nature's own morphine-like substances, causing pleasure and reducing stress. And the research that he uh, cites in support of this is a study that he co-authored with the animal behaviorist Temple Grandin, who is – you might know her from – she's also written a lot about autism spectrum disorders – Um, But uh, they, they found that pigs were comforted by what they call flank pressure or lateral side pressure. So gentle squeezing against the side of the body that seemed to trigger a relaxation response in these mammals, at least partially due to a release of endorphins, according to Dodman. And this was published in Pharmacology, Biochemistry and Behavior in 1989. So that's yet another possibility. That it could be that there is some kind of uh, route through which have, having something pressing up tightly, but you know not too hard, but gently squeezing against the sides of its body causes a hormone release inside the the cat's body that leads to decreased stress, a kind of ba- a general euphoric response. Uh, you know, it's it's the cuddling feeling, and this also seems. Plausible to me. it would. I think it would overlap significantly with the kinds of stimuli that cats would seek out for the thermoregulatory reasons we mentioned uh, just a minute ago. Uh, but I wonder, you could maybe create an experiment to differentiate these two hypotheses by using boxes of different temperatures or insulation potentials or something. Mm, yeah, yeah. But anyway, I, I think we have ended up with a, a number of good, plausible reasons to understand why cats would seek out boxes and even boxes of very different kinds. You know, some would be rooted in, in hiding and safety and, and predatory advantage so, or, or maybe mitigating uh, potentially, potential social conflict within other members of the household or, or the herd, whatever you would call it, of cats. So what is the, the group name for cats? Uh, Well, I mean, like you have a feral colony of cats. Oh, okay, The colony, let's call it that. Uh, But then the other things would possibly be uh, thermoregulation because in in human houses, cats are often going to be cold and uh, this potential thing rooted in the release of endorphins or the reduction of stress due to pressure on the side of the body. But this brings us back to a more difficult question that I really don't have an answer to. I mean, we, we can try to speculate, but I don't yet have a strong uh, uh, hypothesis for why it is that cats would like the hashtag cat square thing. You know, <laughs> why, why do cats like the square on the floor, the IKEA instructions, or even just the, the square on the floor made of tape? That are not even three-dimensional not going to press their sides they're not insulated things they're going to keep their body warm uh, they're not going to offer any hiding potential i really don't know what's going on there but it does very much interest me
1: i guess it's it's largely like unlike anything that they would encounter in the wild is is one i guess one sort of thing that comes to my mind is Mm. that like a, a neat square that is uh that is outlined on a on an otherwise uh, featureless floor, mm-hmm. uh, flat surface. Like when would you when would you ever have anything like that in the wild? You know, maybe it's just a it's something that uh, they would be unprepared for, you know, mm-hmm. and that uh, would would sort of create a loophole or, um, or you know cognitive um, error. I'm not sure.
0: Uh, just kind of a novelty thing. Like yeah, oh, that's weird. I mean, the other thing that I kind of suspect, though, one of the studies uh, I'm about to look at would have some evidence going against this. I would kind of suspect I wonder if it has to do with the with manipulation of the owner's attention. Mm. So, you know, when you put down some IKEA instructions on the floor. The, the cat may very well notice that the owner is paying a lot of attention to those instructions, and that by coming and sitting on top of the instructions, it could very well be like, well, pay attention to me.
1: Huh. Well, maybe so. I mean, I, I haven't looked at any literature on this, but I imagine anyone out there who's ever tried to set and work using a laptop, you'll have that scenario where the cat – perhaps wishes to be fed Mm -hmm. and it's going to it's going to want to hang out right next to you, sometimes with its front paws on your mouse pad, Mm -hmm. sometimes even attacking your hand if you move the mouse around. So Uh (laughs) um, I I wouldn't put it past them. Um, I guess the the one thought that does come to mind is that if the cat wants your attention, usually the cat will come to you. You know, like uh, you you would have to be rather close to those instructions. And uh, at least in my own household, I see the cat drawn to those uh, IKEA instructions or Lego instructions, even if they are just, you know, left to the side and they're not really being engaged with by, by the humans.
0: That's a good point. I, I feel like the occupation often takes place when your back is turned. You know, yeah. you, you go look at something else, then you come back and, and the cat or in my case, even the dog is on top of whatever flat thing you've just put on the floor.
1: Yeah. And now Yeah, I mean I guess I'm I'm less inclined to think that the, the cat is gonna be playing three D chess mm-hmm. with uh with you know the social instruments of the house. But then again you do get into explanations for say um uh, you know, inappropriate urination in cats where it's tied to uh, the smells associated with owners and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. so there are some complex scenarios going on uh, that that maybe don't seem as apparent to you know, the human owners of, of the, the beings because a part of it comes down to the fact that, that any animal in your house, any pet, be it a dog or a cat, they're going to live in a different sensory realm than you do. You know, the parameters of that sense realm are different. And of course, just cognitively and socially, they're different from humans as well.
0: Well, maybe the following will shed some kind of light. I'm not sure it will, but but we'll try. So this study that was cited in that uh, article by Jennifer Ouellette that inspired me to want to talk about this today – uh, th- this study was published in the journal Applied Animal Behavior Science, and it is by Gabriella E. Smith, uh, Philippe A. Chouinard, and Sarah E. Biosier. It is called If I Fits, I Sits, colon, <laughs> a citizen science investigation into illusory contour susceptibility in domestic cats, Felis uh, Silvestris catus. And essentially, this study. Built off of this observation where you know people have been posting all their cat square pictures on the internet, they make a, a square made out of tape on the floor. The cat, for some reason, we don't know quite why, but for some reason comes and sits within the square. The authors here were looking into the question, will cats do that even for a square that isn't there, but is merely suggested by a visual illusion? And uh, I thought this was a great question, you know, st- like, do, do other animals see the same optical illusions that we do? And it, it appears, at least in some cases, they do. So this study was about whether they would fall for a particular known visual illusion that's been documented for, I, th- I think, at least several decades now, known as the Canizza contour illusion, named after an Italian psychologist named Gaetano Canizza. And of course, if you want to picture a Kanitsa square, you can look it up on the internet, but uh, I'll try to describe it. Imagine a square that isn't there, but is suggested by the mouths of four Pac-Men. So if you, you take a Pac-Man, or basically it's just a disc with one quarter of it removed, and then you face them at, uh, as if they were each biting the corner of a square, but there is no square, it's just the Pac-Man with their mouths all turned in at, at four different corners, the visual illusion that's created is the illusion of a non-existent square. And so, to quote from the uh, the abstract of this article, the authors here write: uh, They wa- they wanted to know if cats are also susceptible quote to sitting in enclosures that are illusory in nature, usl- utilizing cats' attraction to box like spaces to assess their perception of the Kanitsa square visual illusion. And so the interesting thing about this study was that it uh, it basically crowdsourced its uh, its data collection uh, to continue reading, quote, Carried out during the COVID-19 pandemic, this study randomly assigned citizen science participants booklets of six randomized counterbalance daily stimuli to print out, prepare, and place on the floor in pairs. Owners observed and video recorded their cat's behavior with the stimuli and reported findings from home over the course of six daily trials. The study ultimately reached over 500 pet cats and cat owners, and of those, 30 completed all the study's trials. This is one of the major limitations of uh, like uh, of crowdsourcing citizen science, right? Because mm-hmm. they had a large dropout rate. Uh, but the authors continue. Of these, nine cat subjects selected at least one stimulus by sitting within the contours, illusory or otherwise, with all limbs for at least three seconds. The study revealed that cats selected the Kanitza illusion just as often as the square and more often than the control, indicating that domestic cats may treat the subjective Kinnitsa contours as they do real contours. Given the drawbacks of citizen science projects, such as participant attrition – again, that's the people who dropped out of the study as it went on – Future research would benefit from replicating this study in controlled settings. To the best of our knowledge, this investigation is the first of its kind in three regards. A citizen science study of cat cognition, a formal examination into cat's attraction to 2D rather than 3D enclosures, uh, so this would be the first thing studying the squares and not just the boxes, and study into cat's susceptibility to illusory contours in an ecologically relevant paradigm. So there are the obvious caveats that, that we mentioned, having to do with like the difficulty of conducting a crowdsourced experiment of this kind. And it probably needs to be backed up with other research uh, under more controlled conditions. The the authors do uh, point out that there was a study, I think from 1988, that also found some evidence of uh, perception of visual illusions, such as the Kanizsa Square in cats. But I think these were in lab-trained cats who had been conditioned to sort of press a button when they saw a square in order to get a food reward. Mm -hmm. And when the cats were presented with a Kanitsa square where there actually isn't a square, they press the button. So it Mm. it seems like they do perceive the same visual illusions that we do. And I actually was looking up, I was like, are there other examples of cats responding to visual illusions that uh, that affect humans? And yes, there are. I came across an example that I thought was really interesting. Uh, This was about the rotating snakes illusion, which I thought was just delightful. So the rotating snake's illusion is a type of illusory motion where a static image appears to be moving. Robert, I've attached an image for you to stare at. Uh, I don't know if you're getting the illusory motion, but I absolutely am. In fact, mm-hmm. I'm getting yes. a little bit dizzy looking at this right now. I need to scroll down. Um, <laughs> but uh, so there was a study published in the journal psychology in 2014 by Bath et al called cats and illusory motion. Uh, first, they note the anecdotal documentation of cats reacting to the rotating snakes illusion, which is uh, – uh, they document a bunch of videos of cat- cats, especially kittens, being presented with a printout of one of these illusions. And and to describe it, the rotating snakes are essentially a bunch of different disks that have um, – that have different colors within the rings of the discs and the way the colors are arranged causes the discs to appear to be kind of rotating or slithering around, even though they're not moving. And anyway, this study documented uh, how some cats had been observed to react to static printouts of this illusion by attacking them, essentially trying to prey on them as if they were snakes moving around on the page. Uh, And this was supported by a cat owner survey that, tried this out on a bunch of cats and, and found, yeah, uh, at least 29% of respondents said that their cat reacted to this illusion. And Rob, I've got some videos attached if you want to take a look. Yeah. One thing that I thought was interesting about this was that according to the survey of pet owners – cats that responded to the illusion were on average 2.4 years younger than cats that did not react to the illusion. And the authors hypothesized this result from the beginning, not because they thought that younger cats would be more likely to see the illusion, but just because younger cats are more likely on average to react to motion within their visual field by attacking it. And older cats, I think are more likely to see the illusion at the same rate, but just be like, yeah, so what?
1: Hmm yeah the the videos are interesting here. I have not tried this out on my own cat i'm I'm tempted to, but on the other hand, this pattern looks like and this experiment looks like it was perhaps created by by big printer ink uh, to, uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> to get me to blow through my ink a lot faster but still I, I I mean if it enriches the cat at all uh i'm I'm all for it but uh, I wonder if she's since she's an older cat she may i don't know she might not be that into it
0: well it'd be interesting to see yeah. But anyway, uh, these studies, you know, they they make it clear that okay, cats do respond to at least some of the visual illusions that humans do. It seems that uh, if, if the results of uh, the, the new study are valid then then cats do seem to react to kanitsitza contours, the illusory squares uh, sort of the same way that they react to real squares laid out in tape on the floor, and that they do seem to react uh, at least in some cases to these uh, these static discs as if they are snakes moving around on the page that must be swatted and, and tortured, sure. as is a cat's noble duty. Uh, it, just one more side note, because uh, before I leave this topic, I came across this as well. Uh, the question, do fish perceive illusory motion? I, uh, there was a study published in Nature Scientific Reports in 2014 by uh, Gory et al., that looked into, okay, do fish fall for the rotating snake's illusion? And they used a, a conditioning task where, where uh, fish were supposed to respond to motion by doing a certain thing. And then when, they, when you sub in the rotating snakes, do they fall for it? And it looks like sometimes they do. Hmm. So e- even fish perceive some of the same visual illusions that humans do. Interesting.
1: Yeah, when it comes to cats and the illusion of a box, the only other thing that's coming to mind and again, this is something that is a product of their their unnatural habitats inside of a human house mm-hmm. is that if you have light coming through a window, ooh, it may, you know, it may take on um, you know, a square, rectangular or vaguely rectangular form on a bed or uh the floor and then mm-hmm. they, you know, are going to be drawn to it, but of course there's a thermal payoff for for uh, for taking a nap in that square, yeah, uh, and obviously that's not going to be the case if you just outline a square with tape or have one of these illusory squares created with these uh, Pac-Man.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- that's a really good point, and I was thinking about the same thing. I was thinking. Are, are cats um, drawn to squares because of some kind of evolved adapted behavior or because of a conditioned behavior that is very common within with living in human houses? You know, is there something about living in human houses that over time teaches cats that when there's a square shaped thing on the floor, I should go sit on that? Or is this something you would see, say, wild cats doing when presented with the opportunity?
1: Right. I mean, it seems like, yeah, like the wild version of this would be uh, sunlight that is filtered through a tree canopy. Yeah. So, but it I mean, wouldn't it, be square shaped. Yeah. yeah, it wouldn't be square shaped. So it seems like that. I mean, I, I could be wrong, but it seems like that would would certainly overpower any cubical or rectangular thinking uh, that might emerge uh, during their 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 ultimately
0: brief era of captivity. Yeah. Uh, I I would not be surprised if somebody was actually able to identify a way in which like domestic cats that live in human houses are more likely to sit on squares. I don't know exactly what the reason would be. I think the light through the window is a very good guess, but something like that, that they're used to seeking out and getting a reward for seeking out that's roughly square-shaped on a floor.
1: Hmm. Now, if we're thinking about thermal differences, I guess it is also worth thinking about. uh, if you have a say, you have a, a shipment come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's you know some, some sort of like Amazon box or whatever, mm-hmm. and you bring that in the house. If it's a, if it's a, if it's hot outside, if that box has been setting in a delivery vehicle, then there's probably a thermal difference in that box too. Oh, interesting. Yeah, the fresh box is even warmer. <laughs> yeah. But then again, the reverse would be true, right? If it's been on a box, if that box has been sitting, uh, you know, in a delivery vehicle all day or for a couple of days and it's cold out, then it seems like there would be an unattractive thermal difference in that box. So do cats get in the box
0: faster in the summer or does it not make a difference? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Well, maybe we're just going to have to call it there for part one. Part one will be about uh, about cats seeking out these box and square shaped enclosures. And then we're going to come back in part two and talk about humans.
1: Yeah, sounds good. It should should be fun because um, I think if we if, if we're fair, there are, are a lot of situations where humans have and continue uh, to draw towards enclo- enclosures, you know, small spaces mm-hmm. in the comfort of small spaces. And so, it'll, yeah, it'll be interesting to go from the realm of cats uh, uh, sitting and fitting in boxes to humans doing something along the same lines. I fits, therefore, I am. Yeah. <laughs> All right. In the meantime, if you want to check out other episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, you know where to find them. Go find the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed. And you can get that wherever you get your podcast, wherever that happens to be. We just ask that you rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, you can always go to stufftoblowyourmind.com and that will shoot you over to the iHeart listing for this page. And if you're interested, uh, we haven't been promoting it enough recently, but there's a store on there. You can go there. Uh, you can click on that link. And, you know, there are various t shirts and whatnot that have our logo on it. Uh, so go check that out if you're
0: interested. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com.
2: Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app,